Hello, how are we doing? Welcome. There's a spring in my step and in my voice because it's playoff semi-final week. The EFL delayed these playoff semi-finals in order for fans to be able to attend them. And not only has that meant that we get to see fans watching EFL football, the pinnacle of EFL football, by the way. But it also means that this week, between Monday 6pm and Sunday evening, we've got 12 playoff semi-finals in the space of seven days. I cannot wait. I'm Ali Maxwell. George Ellix with me. Definitely more nervous about this week than I am, but possibly more excited because you're actually going to be at one of the games. Yeah, I'm going to be at the Kassam Stadium tomorrow for Oxford versus Blackpool, um, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> All being well, I'm also doing a pitch side interview on Sky Sports Football at about oh, 5.35, which is quite fun. Um, again, it's one of those moments where if you told me five years ago that, that would be happening, I'd have been pretty confused. Uh, <laughs> How much would yeah. I have to pay you to do a John Yems style response to some of the questions? Um. Yeah, quite a lot, I think. <laughs> given given that it's our friends, it's essentially, um, what is your future broadcast earnings worth? <laughs> given given it's our friends, Alex, who's, who produces the Friday night shows, who's asked me to come on. I think I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to him. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm quite. It's going to be raining, so I'm quite looking forward to just literally being in like my big black puffer jacket with rain all over me, speaking to Guy Havard about how how good it is to be back at the back of the football. Um, it's an iconic image already. I am, yeah, I'm really excited. I can't, I can't really compute it, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's quarter past 10 on Monday now. The game kicks off at six o'clock on Tuesday. Like it's, it's quite soon. And yet I, I've never felt further away from sitting in a seat in a stadium watching a game. Um, and we, we, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. I am quite nervous. I think there's something about, I don't know if other people listening will agree, there's something about being at a game that makes me less nervous than being than watching it on TV. Mm. I think watching a game on TV where you're so detached from it and you kind of feel like it's all kind of going on. Not that you can have any control in a stadium, but I feel like when you're when you're in the stadium and you're involved in it, there's there's a different way that you're engaging oh. with the game, um, which is a what? bit more immediate. Do you know what? Even as a neutral, I know you're talking as a fan. I think even as a neutral, there is a huge difference between how you experience football on the TV and in the stadium. And we have been starved, all of us, for the best part of, what, 18 months now? Oh, no, that's an exaggeration. Maybe 15 months now from uh, from from one part of that. And it's, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm a bit emotional for you. I'm going to see if I can get in touch with one of the Sky cameramen and, and just ask for player cam on George Ellett for the whole <laughs> game. Um, but, uh, but no, it's really exciting. And in fact, today's podcast is not to do with the playoffs. We've already previewed them. And if you haven't listened to our three individual division playoff previews, please go back and listen to them before the games kick off over the next few days. Having said that, we've got a sponsor for today's show, George. It's a very popular returning sponsor and they've got a playoff competition up their sleeve. Yeah, they say in football that you should never go back. Fan slide, laughing in the face of football cliches, exactly how we'd want them to. Uh, yeah, really, really happy to be um, supported again by our friends at Fanslide. They were an eminently popular sponsor the first time around. And for those who have maybe started listening to the pod since that first campaign a few months ago, Fanslide is the first ever in-play fantasy football game. So, I mean, how great does that sound? <laughs> Sounds you- incredible. You play for free. Um, the the kind of mechanics of how you play is probably the best way to find out is just to download the app and see. But you effectively slide in players uh, into their slots to earn points for a range of things. You know, not only goals and assists, but all the, the nerdy stuff that we love. Passes completed, blocks, tackles, all stuff like that. You can weight your selected players. So the one that you want to earn the most gets three times the points. Second, two, last one. So you always have three players playing for you. It is a really good way to enjoy for free a a game of football with a whole different kind of way of, of looking at things. People who have a you know a small bet on something to enjoy it, I really recommend you give Fanslide a go. It is the ultimate companion, the ultimate fantasy football in-game experience that we adore playing. And a lot of people when we first um, work with Fanslide 
I think are still playing pretty much every game. So yeah. that says a lot about it. Yeah, as you say, free to sign up, free to play. Uh, it is strategic, tactical. You can show off your knowledge of the EFL or you can just take some stabs in the dark. And ultimately, <laughs> the greatest feeling that exists is when a player in your times three slot scores a goal and you fly up the leaderboard. Now, Fanside are running a competition over all of the 12 playoff semifinals this week. For the 12 games, your three best scores count towards your total. There will be £200 in prize money with £100 to the winner. And I think it's it's great that it's your three best scores counting towards your total. So you don't feel obliged to play all 12 games and that won't impact your ultimate standing on the leaderboard. You could take a risk and just play three or maybe half of the game, six if you like, and your three best scores will count towards your total. So it doesn't matter if you miss the start of the game or even the first few games, you'll automatically be entered into the competition. Fanslide will be updating the leaderboard live throughout the week on Twitter and also at fanslide.com forward slash NTT20 as well as in the chat, the live chat that you get uh, after and during the games. So play Fanslide this week. It's free to play, free to sign up. Download the app. Have a little look around. Get yourself ready for the championship games on Monday night. Brentford, Bournemouth at 6 and Barnsley, Swansea at 8.15. And as mentioned, across this week, your three best individual scores in fanslide matches in the EFL playoffs will contribute to a leaderboard. The winner of the competition will get £100 in prize money and there's £200 in the pot, so still some cash flying around for those who finish well but don't quite win. Sign up to Fanslide today. Thank you so much to the good people at Fanslide for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, We cannot wait to be playing along this week during the playoff semi-finals and we hope to see you there. Now, today's podcast, George, if Fanslide are a popular returning sponsor, a sponsorship partner for the podcast and then this is a popular returning theme or content strand podcast <laughs> podcast that's it that's the right word for it uh, we're going to review our 1 to 24 preseason predictions um we do a lot of podcasts every year george the 1 to 24 preseason predictions are the most important the ones that we take most seriously and the one for who the ones for whom we can either look very clever 9 months down the line or very stupid so instead of you guys having to go back listen and work out where we were right and where we were wrong we're happy to put ourselves out there uh, and be the arbiters of our own success or failure and um, we'll start with the championship i'm just going to read out the league table uh, and where we had teams predicted then a few stats and then we will start chewing on the bones uh, of which predictions we are most upset with and which we're most happy with and see if there are any themes that we can learn from for July slash August's predictions for the next season. We had Norwich winning the title and they did. Great start. We had Brentford finishing second. They came third. We had Watford finishing third. They came second. And we had Swansea finishing fourth and they finished fourth. So we had all of the top four in the top four, but Watford and Brentford the wrong way around. Barnsley, we had finishing 14th. They came 5th. Bournemouth, 6th. We had them finishing 8th. Reading, we had them finishing 18th and they finished 7th. Not for the first time. We didn't get a good grasp on Reading FC. We thought that Cardiff would finish 7th. In fact, they finished 8th. QPR, they finished 9th and we had them 19th. A big miss that. Uh, Borough were 10th. We had them 16th. Millwall finished 11th. We had them finishing in the playoffs in 6th. Luton finished 12th. We had them finishing 20th. Big underestimation there of Nathan Jones's side. Preston, we had them finishing 9th and they finished 13th. Stoke, we had finishing 5th and they finished 14th. More on Stoke City later on. Blackburn and Coventry, well, Blackburn finished 15th. We had them 13th. Cov, 16th and we had them 15th, so not too far off. Forest, we were 7 places out. We had them 10th. They were 17th. Birmingham, one place out, 17th. They, their 18th, they finished 17th was our prediction. Bristol City finished 19th. We had them 11th. Huddersfield, 20th. We had them 22nd in the relegation zone. Not far, but no cigar. And Derby, we massively overestimated. We had them in 12th. They finished 21st. Now, the bottom three... Wickham, we thought 24th, they were 22nd. Rotherham, 23rd, and that's exactly where they finished. And Sheffield Wednesday, we had them just about staying up in 21st, but they finished 24th. So, George, the good. Well, it's the second straight year we've picked the winners uh, after Leeds last season and Norwich this season. It's also the second straight year of getting the top four right, albeit not quite in the right order. So I'm pretty pleased with that. We also made it clear on our uh, 1-24 to predictions that we thought that the top three 
uh, were going to be above the rest, Norwich, Brentford and Watford. So to have a seven point gap between third and fourth is, is fairly pleasing as well. Three teams finished in the exact position we predicted, Norwich, Swansea and Rotherham. Ten more finished between one and three places away from our prediction. So 13 teams total finished in or within three places of our prediction. Then we had three in the amber zone, as I'm calling it, which is a miss of four to six places. Not great, but no disaster. And then eight teams that we need to talk about, either over or underestimated by at least seven places. That is Stoke, Forest and Bristol City and Derby being overestimated by us back in August. And Barnsley, Reading, QPR and Luton underestimated um let's start with the bad ones because that's way more fun than us patting ourselves on the <laughs> back i think we have to talk about stoke for the third year in a row george they are the bane of our life we massively overestimated stoke we thought they'd finished we thought they would finish fifth and instead they finished 14th george i'm at a loss here what on earth is our problem getting to grips with stoke city well we just keep thinking they're better than they are um, and this is the most frustrating of the lot because now I look at Stoke's squad after the course of this season and for the first time in, well, since they got relegated, it doesn't look like a very good squad to me. Like the <laughs> player to player, man for man, players I think we expected to be far better than they were. You know, you look at Stoke's squad at the beginning of the season, the options they had up front in, you know, Fletcher, Vokes, um, Gregory Campbell looked like it was a pretty elite level strike, um, you know, stri- striker options. Vokes and Gregory have been basically appalling. Fletcher's been fine. Campbell's been injured since January. So uh, massively overestimating the big names in Stoke squad, as we have done a few times. But I still, it, it kind of annoys me because it's one of those, and this is going to be a theme, and it always is a theme, but Making Stoke fifth wasn't a positive prediction from us. It was kind of market value. It was where they were seen to be coming. So, and and I think there was such positivity. I remember at the back end of last season, um, I did a Twitter poll asking who the best mid-season managerial appointment had been. And I left Michael O'Neill off it. And I had loads of Stoke fans being like obviously O'Neill, 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 O'Neill in the way that often can happen when um, when a, a poll gets hijacked but that kind of shows going into the season the the way that he was being thought of by Stoke fans and probably by neutrals as well and that is not the case now I, I don't have much faith in Michael O'Neill next season being somebody to lead Stoke to a better finish it feels to me like they need a massive um uh, they, they need new players. I mean, at the back, they've got promising young players. They've got Collins, they've got Suter, who I think we can be pretty excited about. But in terms of an attacking um, a, a midfield and, and, a, and a strike force, Powell's probably the only one. Powell and Campbell, when Campbell comes back to fitness, are the only two who I think are, are basically good enough. And, and, you know, they spent money in, well, they, they got players in in January. Um, they got Alfie Doughty in, they got uh, Matondo in as well. And you're immediately wondering if these players are are the are good enough to take Stoke to where they want to be. When you look at the the squads at the very top of the table, Norwich, Watford, and Brentford, Stoke are absolutely miles off that, miles off it. So you're you're asking O'Neill to do a huge job. So yeah, it, it's definitely a case of us putting too much. Well, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, putting too much faith in names who we know can produce at this level, rather than maybe looking at what they're up to doing this season it feels like this could be the other way around next season that we might predict stoke to finish somewhere like 14th and mm. who knows maybe they'll get it right and finish somewhere like fifth uh, in which case they'll be the bane of our lives but at least we'll have underestimated them rather than overestimated them uh, let me just rattle through some of the others that we overestimated bristol city I don't want to beat us up too much about just because the way that it unraveled was not in keeping at all with how Bristol City as a club have been over the last what five to ten years. Now, I know that by the end of the season, so many people have taken the blame, specifically Mark Ashton, various members of the medical team, um, the you know Dean Holden for being the wrong man to take them into this season, and a ton of players have copped a lot of flack as well. But we have to remember that pre-season that did not seem 
on the cards to quite this extent. So a, a finish of 11th, I think, was, you know, given where they'd been the last few seasons, always seemingly nipping at the heels of the playoffs without making it. I think maybe we, you know, we didn't we didn't mark them down perhaps enough for having appointed a rookie manager. But Lord knows across the three leagues, there were a lot of rookie managers. A lot of them did terribly and some of them did absolutely brilliantly. So it's not quite as easy as saying we don't know much about this manager. Therefore, we mark them down many places. Um, I don't think we could have possibly predicted quite how poor they'd be for what a 40 game spell, basically, uh, essentially relegation fodder. With Forrest, we obviously underestimated just how unprepared they were to start this season after how it finished uh, at the back end of last season. I guess the extent that Sabri Lamucci had either lost the dressing room or just couldn't get a, a grip on it because of the way that that club is run, you know, uh, how potentially how much faith that the ownership had, lo had lost in him at that time, despite publicly backing him. Uh, and of course, they recovered uh, to finish 17th under Chris Hewton, but didn't get anywhere near 10th. Now, if Hewton had been in charge for... You know, if he'd been in charge since the start of the season, then I dare say they probably would have finished around 10th, if not a bit higher. Uh, and then Derby, I just remember thinking that I felt Koku had, had more to offer, more to give. I was I was confident in backing him to be a slightly better manager. Again, a, a finishing position of 12th. We didn't think Derby were going to be amazing, but we certainly didn't expect things to unravel quite so spectacularly. So, you know, even Sheffield Wednesday, who who was not a big miss in terms of only being three places out, but we thought would stay up. Looking back, I, I think we underestimated the potential for the club to unravel given its ownership. So maybe in terms of lessons to learn, you know, try and keep a slightly closer eye on, on how how likely a club is, um, given how they're run from the very top, is to like to really unravel as a season goes on. But that can be difficult and quite dangerous to do because, you know, you're often guessing at things that, we can't be absolutely sure of, uh, and it can be quite a dangerous game. In terms of the teams, George, that we underestimated, talk me through those. I'm talking about Barnsley, uh, Reading, QPR, uh, and Luton specifically. Which of those are you like, yeah, we really, we're frustrated about how we went about that, and which of those <coughs> do you think we have a, a half-decent excuse? I think we've got a half-decent excuse for most of them. I mean, Reading will be the one that Reading fans go, hey, again, you said we're going to be rubbish, and we weren't. Reading's um, position over the summer, it's easy to forget, was pretty perilous. Like there was a time where, um, yeah, the, basically before the football started, there wasn't much positivity around what Reading were going to do. There were off-field issues. Nobody really be, knew. Let me just remind you and the listeners that as we recorded, Pauno had just been appointed like yeah. one or two days before and we were not getting very good noises out of Chicago fire about Pauno. No, and, and do you remember all the articles about their transfer policy where they were going to like spend millions of pounds and it just it was all really alarming. It, it didn't feel like they were particularly well set, but Pauno has proven to be better than we anticipated. I don't think at that time either of us would have expected Paunovic to still be the manager come, come this stage of the season. Um, certain players have definitely stepped up. Um, you know, Olise is the obvious one, a player that we knew was was very good and very exciting, but quite how good and quite how exciting. I think we were, it was going to take us a, a few weeks to really cotton on. Um, and then like Rinomota and Laurent being a very good midfield too in the championship, I didn't necessarily see coming. They've just been very good. And, you know, when you've got players like McIntyre coming through, they the, the, the young players have stepped up to an extent that I don't think we necessarily saw. And in a funny way, Lucas Rao was no surprise in that he had time periods of the season where he was unplayable, periods of the season where he did nothing. But the period of the season where he was unplayable was more prolonged and more consistent over the course of, of the first kind of half of the season, which enabled them to get enough points on the board to be in the promotion push. So, yeah, I mean, there's that that is the worst one. Um, but I, I can I don't think there was any evidence available to us at the time of recording to suggest that Reading were going to come seventh with Barnsley 14th was a pretty positive prediction and we were very hot on Gerhard Struber so I'm not gonna you know given they changed manager after after six or after five games I think it was one one quick um, trumpet blow here um I listened back yesterday to the championship one and we both felt quite strongly that Struber was ripe to be not just to be picked off by someone, plucked. but also would have no real reason deep down, as much as Barnsley fans would have would have um, been upset about this, 
you know, he had left Wolfsburg in Austria and it felt like an obvious career decision to get himself in front of an English audience and maybe a, a wider European audience. Um, and Even an American audience. Exactly, even an American audience. And we felt like, therefore, can we trust this guy? You know, if there's even stronger interest than Watford were reported to have had in him last summer, can we trust this guy to stay and stick it out? We weren't sure. And because we thought Struber was great, that made us put Barnsley a bit lower down. Now, what we didn't predict was that Val Ishmael would be the, the championship manager of the season in our eyes. Exactly. And that's why, that's the kind of the big caveat, I guess. Um, you know, when, when you make a, it was like the season that we that we were very hot on Huddersfield and they were, they got promoted. Where do we have them? I mean, I, it wasn't S- quite as seventh, good as it should think, have been. Maybe sixth similarly. or seventh. And then, and then also the, se- the season that Huddersfield came down, we were very negative on them and we had them like 12th and they ended up coming like 20th. Yeah. Like sometimes you, you don't go far enough with your positivity. 14th for Barnsley aside who just avoided relegation seemed like a, we were pretty hot on them, but they've gone and finished fifth and, and exceeded our expectations for QPR and for Luton. I guess Luton is the one which maybe we should have been a bit, a bit hotter on given that you, you, you tipped up a buy of their points on the, on the betting show. So that seems like a bit of a strange one. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, one one thing that we said about Luton was I just purely looking at their squad, I felt very strongly that they would struggle for goals and that their defence wouldn't be quite good enough to mitigate that to a, to a point where they'd be hitting mid-table. Now, they did struggle for goals, only scored 41, which in, in the top half where they finished is miles below anyone else. And actually, most teams in the bottom half got in and around that number as well. But the defence was better than I gave them credit for. I mean, 52 goals is a, a very good return, essentially. And, and and that was kind of the difference, I think. You know, um, they lost more games than they won this season, Luton, and finished in the top half. But they were able to eke out results in low-scoring games much more than, than I necessarily felt they would. I guess... I guess I would have expected them to draw more games probably and, and therefore take fewer points. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm a bit annoyed with myself because, as you say, we bought their points uh, pre-season and that ended up looking pretty good. Um, but certainly the, the prediction itself was poor. QPR, I'm, I'm, I am I'm have just no... I have no shame about that. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, to, what, two and a half months ago, that probably looked like being one of our best predictions. Yeah. And it's, and it's ended up being the worst. You know, <laughs> predicting them coming 19th, they were lower mid-table all season. And then suddenly from the end of January onwards, just went on this incredible run of form that I still can't really work out how it happened. And you know, all without Avere, our favourite exactly. son, Avere. No Eze, no bright say Samuel either. Um, Amazing. Brought in Stephanie Hansen, which I think, well... I think you would have had Stephanie Hansen as being a negative signing. I think I said that Charlie Austin wasn't a very good signing. Both <laughs> have proven to be extraordinarily good short-term loan signings. Um, and it, it, I think it's just massive testament to the job that Mark Warburton has done over the last couple of months that, that that's happened. So I, I don't regret anything with QPR because I'm still not entirely sure how it happened. But that that is why we got it so wrong. So credit to them. I've no. They're another side where next season I just have no idea what to think because they you can get so caught up in a good run towards the back end of the season. <clears throat> but then again, looking at the squad itself, is there enough quality to push on from ninth? I mean, we'll we'll see what happens over the summer. Big summer of recruitment ahead for QPR, as is the case for a lot of teams who want to make the leap next season. Um, the one thing I would give you credit for is. We had discussed that we sometimes get, we sometimes have strong opinions about teams coming down from the Premier League being quite poor and not making a good fist of it, and yet we don't put them low enough. Huddersfield was was the one we spoke about, and then a few weeks later we did our preseason predictions, and of course we had Norwich first, Watford third. You wanted Watford second, so credit to you there. But I insisted that Bees should be just ahead of them, uh, and we had Bournemouth eighth. Now you wanted them higher, I wanted them lower. I'm going to give you full credit here. You you called, essentially, that the general conditions that came from COVID and the relegated teams were going to make the relegated Premier League sides a much stronger proposition than usual, uh, and you were absolutely spot on there. So my apologies both for not letting you have Watford in second uh, <laughs> and, and not having Bournemouth. I think you probably would have had them around sixth as well. Now, we had Millwall in sixth. Now, in terms of how many places we missed by, five. They're in the amber zone. It's not horrendous, but... That was one I, I slightly winced at. That, that was one where I found the justification a little harder to understand. Um, I listened back and, you know, we thought Rowett and Millwall, pretty perfect fit. They'd been we really, love Jed Wallace. They'd been really good in the second half of the season. 
And we basically put a lot of hope on the shoulders of a young parrot who, unfortunately, oh. I mean, they, they, yeah, they might as well. Surely have had, that was you, not me. They might as well parrot. have had an actual parrot uh, up top. At that I point. feel like I, I feel like I remember sitting with you sometime before the season started, being like, I don't think he's going to be very good. <laughs> More credit that, for you. Is that, is that is it, no, but is that just a dream? That's what I'm, I'm wondering. Or did, or did I say it kind of two weeks into the season, having watched him? Not be great. Um, I mean, they were they finished <clears throat> they finished fifteen points off the playoffs. Not very close, but they did have one just horrendous blip where they drew almost every game in about fifteen. It, it feels to me like there are parallels between Millwall last season and QPR this season, where it's very easy to get sucked into the trap of oh they finished the season quite well under a manager that we quite like. Let's bump them up for that reason. Whereas actually, yeah, but it's quite a big gulf. All this stuff's tough though because. There are ones on the other side as well. Like the nineteen twenty season, Crew, the year before in eighteen nineteen, had finished if you'd started the league on Christmas Day, so the second half of the season, they had finished top of that mini of that, you know, specific date range league. And we knew that and we still put them like tenth and they finished second or third because that's the team they were by that point. So I think yeah. there's merit to at least looking you know, maybe taking the second half of the season and just looking at that. I think maybe a strong finish, a 10-game, a five-game finish maybe can be a little bit noisy. But I do think there's there's merit in having that to hand. Um, anyway, we try and go one better next season. We actually did slightly better in terms of the nineteen twenty season. I think the way to rank it is basically adding together how many places you were out in total. Um, and this year we were 102 places out. Last year, 96. So not too different. No. And um, actually... Peter Lohman, who's a great friend of the pod, he does a great job at the start of every season collating all of the various 1-24 to predictions for the championship, puts them into a spreadsheet and has the results at the end of the season. So in the 1920 season, George, out of all the people he could find, you know, digital uh, creators, uh, newspapers, etc., um, we tied with Gab Sutton for first in terms of everyone he could find in 1920. And this season, we were tied for second um, with Analytics Forest, who did really well, especially with the Barnsley pick. And Off The Line blog pipped us by just two places. So Outrageous. big credit at Off The Line blogs. Probably worth Livid. a follow, if we're honest, off the back of that, covering all things EFL and non-league. So um, well done to Off The Line blog. We'll be going back for our title next season. But generally, I don't think we can be too disappointed. Now, League One, George, our best result overall why don't you talk me through the league table yeah this is quite exciting because I, I i think we did quite well here to be honest but anyway hull finished first we had them sixth which i'm not well no, we'll get into no this in justification yet this is pure league table for you i want you to be peterborough, james alexander peterborough gordon peterborough finished second and we had them top blackpool third we had them ninth sunderland we had fourth they finished fourth lincoln finished fifth we had them tenth Oxford finished sixth, we had them third, Charlton seventh, we had them eighth, Pompey eighth, we had them second, Ipswich next were ninth, we had them seventh, Gillingham were tenth, we had them thirteenth, Accrington Stanley eleventh, we had them eighteenth, Crew twelfth, we had them fourteenth, MK Dons were thirteenth, we had them seventeenth, Doncaster fourteenth, we had them sixteenth, Fleetwood we had them fifth and they finished 15th. Burton, we had them 22nd. They finished 16th. Shrewsbury came 17th. We had them 21st. Plymouth finished 18th. We had them 12th. AFC Wimbledon and Wigan, we both got spot on 19th and 20th. Uh, Rochdale, we had 24th. They finished 21st. Cobblers, we had 23rd. They finished 22nd. Swindon and Bristol Rovers finished last and second last. Uh, Swindon, we had 11th and Bristol Rovers, we had 15th. So in terms of the stats, this is our best result overall. Uh, if you add up how many places we were away from every team and add it together. So the score here is 98, much better than League One the season before, albeit that season didn't play to its completion. Uh, we were 116 then. So 18 places better off, if you will, um, and a little bit better than our 102 score for the championship. Three teams finished in the exact position we predicted. Wigan, Wimbledon and Sunderland in fourth. Uh, nine more finished between one and three places away. So 12 teams, half the league in total, uh, were in or within three places of our prediction. Seven teams were on the highway to the Amber Zone, uh, which is a miss. <laughs> 
which is, of course, a miss of four to six places. Not great, but no disaster is how I consider that. And then four teams only were over or underestimated by at least seven places. They are Fleetwood Town, Swindon and Bristol Rovers, who we overestimated. And Accrington Stanley, the only team underestimated, that, which actually makes me really happy. I think that's I think that's perfect for Aki. Um, let's talk about uh, some of those, George. I'm going to just try and remember Fleetwood Town. So they finished this previous season very strongly under Joey Barton. They completely botched their League One playoff semi-final first leg against Wickham, which meant they didn't trouble the scorers there. We had felt that from January onwards, they looked like a winning machine. A little bit like, if I was to draw a parallel, Blackpool this season. Fleetwood brought in some players in Jan, had a really nice mix, and Barton was getting the best out of them. And... I almost don't want to beat ourselves too much up about this one because I think Fleetwood and their owner, Andy Pilly, has most likely, due to the coronavirus pandemic and its impact on English football and on the revenues of clubs and on individuals' businesses, of course, has had to change tack here. Now, the, the recruitment last summer was not amazing but it wasn't horrendous when we did these predictions and bear in mind we have Fleetwood fifth they didn't have any centre-backs at that point and we made a big point of saying but they will like they will have centre-backs because no you know it's it was impossible to imagine that they wouldn't recruit a couple and and as they had done previously they'd normally brought in some quite good loanees like Suter and Colin Connolly previously so we were trying not to mark them down for that but I think the way the season's panned out for Fleetwood's just kind of been a bit bit meh hasn't it a bit of a it kind of petered out from the moment that Barton left they hadn't started very well and you could just start to to to, to feel suggestions from the statements and 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 think there were signs that Andy Pilly is having to take a slightly different approach of course it's his funding of Fleetwood Town that has them anywhere near the top half of League One or the playoff places as we suggested they might finish and without that with him scaling that back you know they are going to struggle to stay at this level to be quite frank you know Chet Evans left Paddy Madden left for non-league all these things are little indicators that there's a there's a need or a desire whatever it might be to cut the wage bill to take a different approach there's been a lot of talk about the direction Joey Barton not being pleased with the direction the club was was heading in uh, and I think that speaks to yeah what I'm saying just kind of scaling it back I wouldn't for a minute criticize an owner for doing that uh, in these conditions but I think we didn't know that that was coming we thought Fleetwood would be more of the same from the season before and therefore we thought they'd be a, a playoff team and that absolutely wasn't the case now it'll be interesting to see how they go next season under Simon Grayson but certainly this was a big one for me where I was like what 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 happened there and then listened back and thought okay and kind of see where we came from. We just we just missed the mark here. Uh, what sad, about sad for Fleetwood fans who are told by the owner that if uh, they didn't vote Conservative in the election, then the funding would be pulled from the club, who probably did vote Tory, and then this has happened anyway. Very sad for them. Um, Poor lads. Yeah, um, taking <laughs> taking political advice from the owner of the football club you support, I think um, I, I'm very confident saying as a blanket statement, it's probably not the best way of, uh, of, <laughs> of making your election choices. I don't think that's too controversial. Uh, George Swindon and Bristol Rovers, they finished in the two bottom places. We had them 11th and 15th. I think this these <clears> ones, I, I, I am beating ourselves up a little bit. I'm a bit no, frustrated here. I'm not. Um <laughs> Bristol Rovers were, were being touted everywhere as being the dark horses to, to go up. Like they were the side of I mean, the amount of the amount of stuff I read about Bristol Rovers' recruitment last summer was was mad. Everyone seemed to think they were gonna be the team who had this new, you know, highly rated coach in Ben Garner. They were recruiting the right way, getting in Zane Westbrook was obviously the big one that caught the eye. And and again, fifteenth was a negative prediction. Like our our discussion around that prediction wasn't a positive one at all it wasn't progression it was that we didn't really see it obviously we didn't see it unraveling like this but it's a hell of a call it would have been a massive call to have them down this low so even though things obviously went very very wrong i'm definitely not beating myself up about not having them lower because we, we we you know the 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 words around the prediction were not particularly positive I remember Swindon, us saying. I remember us saying, if we are doing this next season and Ben Garner is still at the helm, then this rebuild would have had a good start and we might be higher on them. But 
yeah, we certainly yeah. weren't getting carried away with this. In fact, between the two so-called dark horses of Lincoln and Bristol Rovers, well, we certainly picked the right one there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then with, with Swindon, you know, the, the, a wry smile on my face because anybody accusing me of bias here when we've got, we had them 12 places higher than where they finished. Um, under An underestimating of how destructive Lee Power's ownership is on the club for sure um but going into this season there was there seemed little reason why well apart Richie, from why Richie why, why Richie Welland wouldn't still be at the club just a couple of months later apart from was their team worse than their league two team possibly yeah we, but then I mean we were excited about Johnny Smith bit, and it didn't Johnny do Smith, anything you were very excited about Brett Pittman, Pittman didn't really do right, anything I was convinced was a Jack you know Payne, was, a, was a decent person to come in Jack Payne you said can be amazing on his day but it doesn't come around very often you know we just and 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 with hindsight it seems obvious that that they that they didn't look as strong and that you know relying on on loanies to be you know two or three of your key players and not being able to get them back is always going to impact a team and when you move up a division that's going to impact a team even more added to that an owner who we know is suboptimal and we're going to find out much more about this over the coming weeks due to a court case that's ongoing and we probably Today. should have mixed all that together and maybe been a little less positive than a where, top half finish where where do you think they'd have finished if Wellington stayed and not moved to a league 2 club I can't remember where they were previously, but I'm not a huge amount higher than the relegation places. Like, not definitely. Because Interesting. I, I mean, I think they were, personally, I think they'd have been comfortably safe. Right. But not, you know, but not, not 11th, but yeah. comfortably safe. You know, they, they've, they've had to deal with having, you know, amongst everything else that's been going on, look at the, the fan sentiment towards the man who's been in charge for the whole season. Like that is significant. You can't, whilst I, I'm, you know, the power's ownership is destructive, and that is clearly true. And, and Wellington did an incredible job to be successful under that last season. You know, I, I don't think John Sheridan can can just lay the blame at, at Power's door. You know, this was a side who were just abject for so much of the season without much any real real signs of life. Um, and I even remember after the Swindon game where they beat Oxford at the Kassam. Swindon fans are getting in touch with me being like, yeah, this is it. Our clubs are, we're, you know, we're taking our rightful place. You lads are on the way down and, and we're, you know, we're finally the strongest side again. Like there was still some positivity then. Um, it, you know, it's, it's important to remember that the, the Swindon season wasn't consistently poor. It just unraveled at a ridiculously fast rate as, as the season wore on. So losing Wellens was, was the big, big loss in my opinion. Um, and without him, a manager who probably wasn't up to the task, and an owner who, as we say, is is a, you know best erratic. Um, yeah, it, it it all went it all went wrong. But I, I, yeah, as I said, I still think from if it were well into stayed and, and the season had continued with that squad, I, I don't think they'd have been as low as they as they ended up. Now the the big miss that I'm happiest with across all three leagues is Accrington Stanley. And I say big miss, I mean, it's seven places, which is how I can, you know, that's that's the lowest of the big miss range. Um, we said 18th, they finished 11th. You might say there's not a huge amount of difference there, but actually in this league table, that's that's good for 14 points difference between them and, and, and Argyle, who finished 18th. And I'm delighted with this because I think it's... Uh, it's it's a reminder to me because it's been a busy season and there's been a it's been a roller coaster. It's a reminder to me how much we should be praising John Coleman and Accrington Stanley and everyone to do with the club for this eleven eleventh place to finish. And because at one point they might have been flirting with a playoff place before dropping off somewhat, maybe that's those are the conditions where you you kind of miss this and and maybe you don't look back having zoomed out at the end of the season and really give them their due. So this is our chance really, George, because they'd finished, I can't remember exactly the season before, but it was around your 18th, 17th. In fact, 17th it was when the when the music stopped in that particular game of uh, musical chairs. And they'd lost Jordan Clark, who we felt was their best player. Um, and we we just kind of missed the fact that that sort of stuff, compared to other teams, doesn't seem to phase Accrington Stanley, doesn't seem to phase John Coleman and Jimmy Bell uh, and the work that they do in the transfer market. And in fact, the way that they play with Coleman at the helm, as far as we can tell, based on our coverage of these leagues over the last five years, basically just screams progression and it doesn't always mean that they're going to be at the top of this table but it probably means you can you can really rely on them 
not to have a disastrous season. And that's a pretty strong thing for a predictions table. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's amazing. It, it feels like under Coleman, Accrington go on quite prolonged periods of, of form, if that makes sense. You know, And at their worst, they are a side who still battle incredibly hard to punch above their weight and avoid relegation. And at their best, they are they are superb. And we saw that in a kind of in, in patches this season. You know, they were to be honest, they were a they were one incredibly poor run away from being a playoff side. Yeah. I think. You know, we think back, it wasn't long ago that we saw them beat Ipswich live on um live on Sky on that Friday night 2 0. Charlton, and, I think. Yes. Sorry, Charlton. And to kind of solidify their claims to be a side who could push into the playoffs. And it was just that terrible run. And you look at what they did at the end of the season. You know, they, they beat Oxford. They took four points off Pompey over two games that were so important. They drew with Charlton. You know, they were playing against sides who had everything to play for and should be much better teams and continue to do it. So, look, I think I think it would be, what's the word? I mean, I was going to say almost irresponsible to, to predict a top-half finish for Accrington given um, where their, their kind of natural place in terms of, of, of their budget is in League One. Um, but anybody who anybody who had Accrington kind of in the relegation zone at the start of the season, I would say, is it's just lazy. It's just lazy punditry. Well, they're, they're going to have to do another job of recruitment this summer because they've had some loanees who have contributed um, this season, although not too many. You know, you've had guys who have done stuff in flashes, uh, the Chelsea pair, John Russell, Tarek Uakwe, Nathan Baxter, who's brilliant in goal for, for a prolonged period, but then picked up an injury. Outside of that, Cassidy um, and Mo Sangare didn't do a huge amount, and Adam Phillips maybe a little bit in the second half of the season on final day, of course. But yeah, it actually... Having said they're going to have to do a big job of recruitment this summer, I think they've actually got a fairly strong um, squad of, of players who are under contract. They've signed Harry Pell, um, which is a nice pickup. I'm looking forward to seeing how he translates to this team. Um, and you'd back them to do the usual, maybe a couple of gems from non-league, maybe a couple who need a, a pick-me-up after a, a few poor career choices or being released from a, a club in the Northwest. However it, it happens, they tend to do enough each summer to, to keep improving. So interested to see this might age terribly something might happen over the next two months that 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 means we have them you know lower than 11th but uh, yeah I'm looking forward to uh to analyzing Accrington preseason this year but I think for only four teams in that red zone of of really missing the mark I'm really pleased with and you know much better than last year in league one and something to sort of shoot at this coming season I think it'd be tough to beat that in league one uh next season of course we did have teams in the amber zone like Hull Blackpool Lincoln, all of whom we underestimated by five or six places, uh, is a little bit disappointing. We did make the point that with Hull, we felt they had the best squad on paper, but we just couldn't tell if Grant McCann still being in charge was going to be like a Sabri Lamucci situation, which it wasn't. It was the complete opposite. And, and those are difficult to predict as well because the fans hate the board. So those always kind of, you know, those things impact your decision as well. It feels like it feels like Hull season, as much as it ended in complete glory and and being crowned champions, you know it's not a million miles away to think of the other path it could have gone uh, could have gone down. So sixth was a kind of uh, conservative estimate between the two. Blackpool, we, we thought they'd be terrible defensively because they didn't have any defenders, and it was the opposite. They were unbelievably good, uh, and we were six places off. Lincoln. Of course, you wanted to back Appleton to the hill um, and we should have gone further with that, I guess, but hard to beat ourselves up too much. And then Pompey, you know, I praised you for your um, championship uh, predictions and how they might have been better than, than mine when we had to make compromises. But this one was your big one uh, and I wanted Posh in number one uh, and Pompey obviously were, were overestimated. You, you you and Kenny Jacket need to get a roommate because you, <laughs> you were too big on him for too many years. Okay, League Two, um, my tone has to change here, George, because League Two is an absolute mess. It's an absolute disaster. We are 142 places out in total. We never got a grip on this league last summer, and that played out here. Uh, The year before, we were 120, so this clearly is consistently our uh, the league that we must improve on. Uh, I'm kind of... I will cling to the opinion that this league is inherently unpredictable compared to the others, but it's poor. Let me talk you through it. Cheltenham came first. We had them third. That's fine. Cambridge United finished second. We had them 16th. That is 14 places out. Bolton finished third. We had them finishing eighth. Morecambe, well, they finished 
fourth and we had them finishing 20th a 16 point gap that is our worst prediction across the three leagues newport finished fifth we said 15th a gap of 10 massively underestimated them forest green we had them fourth they finished sixth tranmere they finished seventh we had them second a gap of five places salford we had winning the title and they finished eight a gap of seven places exeter came ninth we had them fifth carlisle came 10th we had them 11th uh, leighton orient they finished 11th. We had them 17th. Crawley, 12th. We had them 19th. Another miss. Port Vale, we had them 7th. They came 13th. Stevenage, they came 14th. We had them 22nd. These are all in the 6, 7, 8 range. Bradford, five places out. We said 10th. They finished 15th. Mansfield, 16th. We said 9th. Seven places out. Harrogate, uh, the cool balm on a on this rash, uh, we said uh, 18th and they finished 17th. Oldham, we said 12th, they finished 18th. Walsall, we said 6th and they finished 19th, a gap of 13 places. Colu, they finished 20th, we said 14, which at the time felt negative. Barrow, the one and only, 21st, we said, and that's exactly Yee-sa. where they finished. Never in doubt there. Uh, and it gets a little bit better. Scunny, we said 23rd, they finished 22nd. So we thought they'd be relegated and they weren't, but it was a close run thing. South End, um, we thought they'd finish 23rd. In fact, they finished 24th. And then Grimsby Town, we said 13th. We thought Ian Holloway was going to do a lot better than he did. And they finished 24th, a difference of nine places. So should we just end it there? I mean, we probably should. One team finished in the exact position we predicted. Shout out Barrow. Barrow, Salona. Seven more between one and three places away. So only eight, only a third of the league between zero and three places out. We had seven on the highway to the Amber Zone, which is a miss of four to six places, which means that nine, George, were either over or underestimated by at least seven places. That is in terms of overestimating Salford, Walsall, Mansfield, Grimsby. And we underestimated Newport County, Cambridge United, Crawley, Morecambe and Stevenage. Where to start, mate? Which one are you most upset about here? Morecambe, obviously. Obviously. It makes me so sad. <laughs> um, again, I think I, I saw, I, I think it's a We Love Betting columnist who tipped up Morecambe. Um, Tom Love. E- Tom Love, yeah. Topped up, tipped up Morecambe each way at 200 to 1. I mean, fair play for doing that. But even if you're tipping up a 200 to 1 shot, it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you think they're going to finish in the top four. Um, inc- yeah, I mean, it just shows what a great job. Derek Adams has done. We've spoken so much on this podcast about it, so I'm, I'm going to keep it pretty brief. But I think for two guys like me and you who were probably pretty positive on Morecambe at pre-season of being able to avoid the drop and that seemingly being a successful season, I wouldn't be surprised if the words finishing 20 would be another good job well done for Derek Adams <laughs> yeah. came out of my mouth at the time. So for them to come so close to automatic promotion and to finish the, uh, to finish fourth is yeah unbelievable. Um, what a what a season, what a job they've done. And yeah, to, um, to let the kind of the, the neutral mask s- slip, if the, that mask even exists, I really hope that they're going to go and win the playoffs um, in the next week or so. Now, Cambridge finished second. We thought they would finish 16th and that's where they finished the season before. And I think we felt that there was no particular reason to be hugely worried about Cambridge Um in League Two terms, you know, the reason we had Scunthorpe and Southend down there were as much to do with off-the-field things as they were to do with squad, managers, etc. But we certainly didn't predict Paul Mullin not only reaching double figures for the first time in his striking career, but scoring 30-plus. Uh, Mark Bonner mm. being, of all the many, many promoted interim-slash-caretaker-slash-internal appointments across the three leagues last summer the one that really, really took things by storm, the one who had such a firm grasp on what was needed at the club, which he knew so well, and was able to you know, earn the respect of the players, to coach them in a season that made it very difficult to coach and to build a character that, that saw them over the line with a, spr- a sprinkling of stardust from Wesley Houlihan and um, Paul Mullin. So, Wesley. I mean, and, and you know what? I doubled down so many times throughout the season. Um, their underlying performance numbers, I thought, uh, indicated that they would drop off and they just refused to do so. Um, Isn't it? Do you remember, I think it was in February, Cambridge played Barrow and Barrow were favourites yeah. for the game, which is just, I mean, that uh, 
obviously it was wrong. Cambridge won the game, but that just shows you <laughs> from like a completely numbers point of view just how um, how much both Barrow were underachieving for a stage and how far Cambridge were overshooting their numbers. But and it how doesn't much, matter. And how difficult many people, not just us, find it to get a grip on this division in general. Yeah. Um, even Bolton, you know, it's only a five-point different, a uh, five-place different, but you know, it was a stance of ours that we didn't think Bolton were ready to to do what they were tipped to do and and win the title, be automatically promoted. It was a strong stance of ours, and you know, of course, it's one of those classic ones where, you know, for five months we thought we looked like absolute legends, and we worried. Well, that we thought we, too, we thought we too far the other way. We thought we hadn't yeah. gone far enough, uh, and of course, uh, a run for the ages. Sixteen wins in their last twenty-two games, and. Ian Everett making us uh, and a few others look quite silly. I'm a bit disappointed about the Newport County one. I mean, we weren't to know that they were going to turn into Barcelona for the first three months of the season. Um, You know, they were, what were they? New pass county. (laughs) And you pass every second. (laughs) They were six or seven (laughs) points clear of fourth place after like two months of the season. Um, Interestingly, given that we've just previewed their playoff game, and it really staggers me how little of a goal threat they are in open play and how few goal scorers they have. I think their top scorer has got six this season. Now, if Twine had been there all season, of course, he would have been in double figures. But that really sums up what an achievement they've done, what a good all-round team they have to be in order to kind of mitigate against the fact that they really struggled to create and take chances. So that was definitely the case the year before. They'd been one of the lowest teams in the league in terms of XG4. Um, they had struggled going forward. And yeah, we didn't predict that Flynn, uh, who's the miracle man and has been so many times, would get the defibrillator out and pump some more life into Newport County. Who knows where their season will end up? Uh, any of the other ones, George, I feel like I can take most of the blame for Salford City. Um, I was so bullish. And it's actually, it's cost me a lot of anti-post winnings um, with various, you know, doubles and trebles, which had Salford in, uh, which didn't even really give me a run for my money, which is very, very disappointing. And I wonder if we'll be burned again by them pre-season. A lot depends on on how they do recruitment-wise this summer. But that was the big part of why I was so bullish. I felt like, I felt like it was a you know, it was like back in the day when you were a kid and you played champ man and you gave your team a hundred million to spend in League Two. And even if you were a, a terrible tactician, it didn't really matter because the players were just too good, too strong, too quick, too technical. And that wasn't the case at all. Um, you know, the guys they signed almost without exception, apart from Hladki, did not provide the value that they wanted or that we thought they'd bring. So that's a big miss. What about a Walsall or a Grimsby? Talk to me about about those clubs, George. I mean, Daryl Clark would have been a big part of our Walsall prediction, no doubt. Not even there come the end of the season. Yeah, it's... I I guess when you're getting down to teams that you don't think are going to get promoted in League Two, it's very hard to shuffle the pack probably between like 10th and... I mean, our middle section is is an absolute mess. Like, it's just five four five six seven eight places from everyone basically between just outside the playoffs and just above the relegations yeah i mean the grib is be because of holloway though which seems absolutely crazy now given the regard that ian holloway has held in grimsby um yeah i mean there was positivity there and i think there was some excitement as to what he might bring that hasn't happened um and they've been relegated and for for Walsall, you know, we had them sixth. I in my head, I mean, I, there are a fair few Walsall fans that we know. I think were quite positive in the summer about the recruitment. Um, Adebayo was obviously a player that we were looking forward to seeing more of. Who ended up leaving halfway through the season. Daryl Clark, a manager who, you know, if you ascribe to the Mike Holden way of, of, of following managers, he was somebody that I felt like we could follow into battle in League Two, pretty confident that it was going to end well. It did end well, but it didn't end at Walsall. It ended at Port Vale. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that. there's been a couple that you flagged up where I've been like, yeah, I, I can see why we did that for Walsall, just naively. Um, naive faith in, in Darrell, I think, was the was the issue there. Yeah, and what else have we got to, to just uh, pray for forgiveness for? Uh, Crawley Town, Yemsey's boys. I mean, I can't quite understand I, how they finished 12th in the first place, but we definitely have to give him some credit. Um, we had them finishing 19th. I just felt like 
Felt like they were going to concede too many goals. I didn't predict to the extent to which they'd actually be a really entertaining and good and efficient team going forward. So credit to Yemsey for that. They finished 12th. They're going to be a difficult one to predict heading into next season. Stevenage, um, we underestimated, which, you know, they, they were the worst team in the division the year before. We didn't we didn't know either that Alex Ravel would end up being as good as he has been or that they would stick with him as long as they did this season when they did start very, very poorly. So they finished 14th. And last but not least, to finish us off, George, uh, the season before this one, our biggest miss in the three leagues was Mansfield. We had them, I think, first, and they finished 21st, a 20-place gap. This season, not quite as bad, but still pretty bad. We had them finishing 9th, and they finished 16th. We, a bit like Stoke City in the Championship, just find it very difficult to get a grip on Mansfield Town. Well, because they're, they're a team who always spend money, so <laughs> they shouldn't be as bad as they are. I mean, it's, it's, fitting by the that, cash. it's fitting that in a COVID year, the stag party was the worst stag party ever. Like, socially distancing themselves from the top seven, I think was the way <laughs> that this stag party went. Um, yeah, this is mainly your fault, to be honest. You, you, you were hot on Mansfield. I think I had Mansfield. I mean, we'd be able to look back. You were hot on. You were hot on Tranmere, to be fair. I was hot on Tranmere. Um, it finished seventh, but um, but they, uh, yeah, I think I had Mansfield like very low. But I mean, it was it was it was you know having Graham Coughlin at the at the helm at the start of the season didn't help. I think they'll be stronger next year under Clough. I'd be, I'd be very. We, we had them predicted for ninth last season. I'm going to call it now that we'll, we'll predict them being higher than ninth next season because I reckon they're going to bring in loads of really good players from le- of, of League Two level with the Clough in charge, and then they'll probably finish 16th again. Um, I might but, even sing Clough the Magic Dragon on the one to 24s. Now, if we no no, if we have them in the one to 24s in the top three or seven, let's say. Uh, I'm sure I'll give that a little rendition because I'm going to be giddy by that point. I mean, we're going to have a bit of a break at some point after the playoffs. So um, just a heads up not to expect too much content from us in the month of June. Um, But we will start easing back into things. And as is always the case, by the time the 1-24s to come around, we will be so fresh, we will be so prepared and we'll be looking to go one better or two better or three better than, than we did this year. Our total score was 342. That was if you add up the amount of places we were away from our predictions. Now, 342 over 72 clubs is an average of 4.75 places out per team. It's no bad, is it? Yeah, for some reason it feels high to me, but that's because I hold us to very high standards, George. Um, <laughs> I'd be fascinated to know how you guys got on. I, I love doing these every year. They are always our most popular podcast every year and that plays into it. But I love the process of doing it. I love having a few weeks where we're not like right, you know, right up against it in terms of producing pods and we can just do some research. And I actually really like listening back um, nine months on and, and hearing where we went right and where we went wrong. So do give them a listen back over the summer if you fancy uh, making your own mind up on how stupid we are or how smart we are. But also it'd be great if you could tweet us at NTT20pod. We'd love to hear how you got on with your predictions. Has anyone beaten a score of 98 in League One, for example? How many people apart from the brilliant off-the-line blog beat our score of 102 for the championship and did anyone do worse than 142 uh, in league two it'd be great to hear from you i hope you've enjoyed this podcast it's a little more laid back and a lot more self-indulgent than our normal weekly fare but we're just trying to uh, settle the nerves before the playoffs and george Fanslide is going to be a huge part of this week for us they're sponsoring this podcast and they're also hosting a competition on the game for this week, for the playoff semi-final week. 12 games in seven days. Now, if you haven't played Fanslide, the best way to learn how to play is to do it, is to sign up for free, to play one of the games in the championship this evening or any time this week, and to learn your, your preferred strategy, the best tactics for success. It's the perfect companion for a neutral, especially to watch a playoff game, I think, because, um, look, it's tactical, strategic, and really good fun. With the live leaderboard, you can fly up a ton of places and get towards the top if one of your players that you've selected for that time slot scores a goal. Of course, you can slide down if you make poor decisions as well. Fanside are running a competition over all of the playoff semifinals. If you play all of them, they will take your three best scores to count towards your total. If you play six of them, they'll take the three best scores that will count towards your total. If you play just three, then those scores will count towards your total. The best player this week 
in terms of their three best scores will win £100 in prize money. There is a £200 prize pot as well. So a bit of a bit of place money up for grabs as well. You don't need to play every game. It doesn't matter if you miss the start of one or even the first few games this week. Everyone that plays an EFL playoff game on Fanside this week will be automatically entered into the competition and they'll be updating the live leaderboard both on Twitter and at fanslide.com forward slash NTT20. We know from a few months ago how many of you that tried out Fanslide absolutely loved it and are still playing every single week uh, at the moment. We hope that some of you who didn't give it a go last time will download Fanslide for free and play this week because genuinely it's so much fun and as I say, the perfect companion, I think, for watching a football match as a neutral uh, and keeping your brain engaged in the game as well. Uh, a really, really good fun. So download Fanslide and play this week. Hope you've enjoyed this pod. Remember to get in touch with us and tell us how your predictions did uh, either share in the glory or the misery uh, of our own good and bad predictions. It'd be great to hear any um, real ones that you're proud of, let's say, and the ones that you're very, very embarrassed about. We're at NTT20Pod on Twitter. We cannot wait for the playoffs. Make sure you've listened to all of our playoffs off previews they're on this feed wherever you've listened to this podcast and we will be back again next week with another edition of the not the top 20 podcast we'll speak then